Good morning, Real Life Church. It is so good to see each of you. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're joining uh, us this morning. Let me start out by letting you know a little bit more. Um, we have something uh, annually called Souls for Souls, and uh, some of you are familiar with it in the community and different things like that. It is going to be coming up on April 1st and 2nd, I believe, um, and, uh, or that weekend, and, and there is still need of some people to help volunteer and participate and make that an incredible time to be able to, to serve the Lord in that way, to, to reach out to so many different needy children that just just need a pair of shoes. I mean, it's just incredible. And, uh, and so if you have questions or you need some more information, you can always call the church office or go online to our events tab or events page and get some more information because I would love for this church to show up and show out in an incredible way as we kind of step into Souls for Souls. It's, it's a great opportunity. It's a great ministry to really just love people and to love children. So I wanted to put that in front of you as we began uh, this morning. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to continue on in our series through the book of Ephesians. Now, let me, uh, let's talk a little bit. Um, as you guys are turning there on your digital device or uh, in your, it's called a paper book, um, and uh, uh, you can uh, get there any which way, but, but let's talk a little bit about the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians, if you remember when we went back to the beginning, um, Ephesians is kind of broken up um, in a couple different ways. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about what God has done for you, okay? Now, it's really important to understand that because as we dive into moving past chapter three, which is what we finished up, and we're moving into chapter four, there's a shift. Now, chapter, the first three chapters are all about God saying, hey, these are the things I've done for you. This is, this is what the church is. This is what Jesus is. This is what unity and, and oneness looks like. And really, the book of Ephesians is all about unity. It's God taking two different groups, pulling it together, making it one people. This is everything God has done. This is, this is the foundation upon which we are, if I can say it that way. It, it, this, is, this, is, this is the identity. He's, he's crafting identity based not on our feelings, based on not our activity, but on his truth, on his word. And so it's really important to understand as we look at the book of Ephesians that have been looking, the first three chapters are really important. Because if we don't get these first three chapters right, and I encourage you to go back and listen, go back and read. Hopefully you are reading God's word on your own. Don't rely on a Sunday morning to be all that you ever engage God with. Like, Sunday morning is not enough. You're already losing if you think that Sunday morning is sufficient for your spiritual growth, because it's not. You need Jesus every day. I need Jesus every day. It doesn't matter if you have the title of pastor or anyone. I need Jesus every single day. Every person on the planet needs Jesus every single day. You know why? Because I'm not enough. You're not enough. And that's okay. Yes, that's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a kind of a shameful thing. That's just a, a fact thing. It's just who we are. We were made for dependence, not independence. And when we understand the first three chapters, we step into that identity of going, oh, this is what God's done for me. This is who God has made me to be. So when I am that person, now we get into these next three chapters, which will finish out the rest of the book. Paul makes this shift and he says, okay, now based on this, now we're going to go look and say, okay, these last three chapters deal with 
Now, in light of this truth, how do I live? In light of all that God has done, in light of all that Jesus has done, in light of this truth, how do I now live? I think it's important when we understand this because um, I think a lot of the time we get kind of stuck in this area of uh, either doing or being. Now, a lot of the time our default is just to, to give me the to-do list, you know? Like people say, people say this, hey, Joel, um, that's great about the whole Bible and scripture, but I don't need that old book. I just want to do right living. You, you see the, the problem with that? <laughs> see, when, when we say things like that, I just, I'm just going to have a, 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 just this huge flurry of activity for God. But the problem with that is that all you're doing is activity and you actually can't identify with the truth of why you're doing it. You're not, God is saying, no, I, I have created you to be a people. And until you understand of what kind of people you're made to be, you're never going to understand the activity. You're just going to be doing things because it makes you feel better. You're going to be doing things because it makes you uh, feel like you're checking boxes and you're contributing to your own salvation or your own holiness. And God goes, no, I need you to understand. Paul, first three chapters, I need you to understand. It is essential that your identity, your foundation is found in Jesus alone. See, the reason why I get up here on a Sunday morning the reason why I hopefully always see the opportunities that God puts in front of me, I don't want to miss any opportunity, the conversations, the, the giving, giving someone a cup of cold water, giving someone some money, giving, uh, helping an orphan or a widow, coming alongside. The reason why I do that is not to get up here and say, hey, look at all I did. You're welcome, okay? I, I don't do that. I don't care about that. In fact, I don't, I'd rather not have anyone know those things that I do. You know why? Because I'm not doing it for you. I don't care. And you shouldn't do it so that other people around you go, wow, look at that guy. Wow, look at that girl. Man, they're just, mm. Now, if that activity comes into public display, that's for God's glory, not yours. So when our lives are anchored in the foundation of truth, then I do things, you do things, just because I love Jesus. I, I love Jesus, and therefore, out of my love for Jesus, I will now go do. You know why? Because he's worthy. I know what he has done for me, so how could I not do for him? See, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's two different messages that come out. The Old Testament says, um, if you do this, then I will bless you. So that's kind of how the Old Testament sort of plays out. Well, the New Testament rolls around, and Jesus and God, go, both same, same person, okay, says, listen, I have now blessed you, now go and obey. Now go and do. You see, it's, it, we love to sometimes swim in that Old Testament. It, it, we feel like we still have to earn it somehow. We gotta, we gotta earn God's faith. We gotta earn this. And, God, and Jesus goes, You're, you, don't, you don't know me if you keep thinking that way because I've already earned it. 
I've already done it for you, for on your behalf. And the outpouring of that produces a flurry of activity that brings glory to my heavenly Father. This, this is the life God has called us into. So let's, if you guys have your Bibles, I wanted to put that in front of us as we look into chapter 4, as as Paul makes this shift, looking at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, all the way to verse 16 this morning, and let's see how God wants to bring us from not only being, but now moving into an area of doing. So let's just follow along with me here in chapter, uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort, he says, to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. Philippians 2 tells us that he got off of the throne and he came down in the form of a human, a servant, taking upon flesh. And the one who descended is the one who ascended. Jesus rose, rose, rose from the dead, and then he ascended back to be with his Father, then all of the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. What a thought. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to his church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. God's people people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Uh, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they almost sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would be magnified this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come into this place and that you would speak your message, that your words would be heard, that your face would be seen. God, I don't know what anyone walked in here with this morning but you do. 
I don't know what burdens some of us are, are bearing right now, but you do. And I know this about you, Jesus, that those with burdens, you're looking at them even this morning, including myself, and you're saying, hey, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Jesus, thank you for being that anchor. Thank you for being that foundation. Thank you for being that hope for us. And I pray, God, that you would pour into us exactly what you want to pour into us this morning. Jesus, we make much of you. And I pray that your, your face would be seen and your voice would be heard. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I think there is a salt and light, salt and light kind of scenario going on here as, as we kind of look at, look at this. Salt and light is this. When you look at Matthew chapter 5, it makes two statements as you kind of begin to look at the verses. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, a lot of the time, what we end up doing is we end up kind of honing our lives around one or the other, right? One or the other. So, so a lot of the time, um, we end up becoming salt. And salt is you become salty because of truth, because of God's word, because of theology and doctrine. Now, there's some people that are like, I just, I don't need, I don't know. Yes, you do. You need theology. You need doctrine. They're not just big words. This is, we're talking about truth. Theology is the study of God. God gives us a very clear picture in his truth. And so as Jesus becomes more real, we become salty. And he defines us as the salt of the earth because, and you can, you know, think about what salt does, right? It, it, you become a flavor, right? You, you add flavor to a flavorless world. It's also a preservative to preserve this world from the moral decay of what's, what's happening. I mean, there's a number of different uses that salt is. And so there's this idea that we, as the body of Christ, become that for the world that's around us. But understand this, if salt loses its saltiness, it goes on to say that it's nothing good but being, being willing to be trampled on by men. Meaning salt becomes pointless if it's no longer salty. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna make an emphasis here, and I think Paul, there, there's a parallel here. Paul's making an emphasis. The first three chapters of Ephesians, the, the Bible itself is important to be salty. Now, if some of you this morning have little to do with activity and everything to do about scripture, you know what happens when you are overly salty? You become the Dead Sea, you still die. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's got a lot of salt, a lot of sodium, a lot of minerals. And it's rich in all of that, but nothing lives because nothing pours out of it. There's no flow of, uh, of life out of it. And so that's why God says you are the salt of the earth, but you are also the light of the world. It's not one or the other, it's yes to both. Okay, God wants to put himself on display and he does it through the lives of of us as his children. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter four, says this, therefore, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, 
I, a prisoner. He's saying in light of the first three chapters, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the saltiness that God has fused in your life, your identity, uh, the oneness, the two, the Jew and the Gentile becoming one people, in light of you being a follower of Jesus, now I need to focus on light. I need you to take a step of action, a step of activity. Because if you're just, if you're just doing activity, if you're just doing Jesus stuff, then guess what you're doing? You're doing nothing more than a cause rather than a life transformed by Jesus. Everyone loves causes, right? I mean, we, we, we give to causes, we jump on bandwagons like causes, uh, souls for souls. If you're hearing that, that, that the plea here at the beginning, and you're like, oh yeah, I need to be a part of it. I love doing that because it just makes me feel so good. I'm not saying that they don't. But what I'm saying is, is what's your motivation of why you're doing it? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to get that euphoric feeling or to help manage your guilt or you feel like if my good outweighs my bad, then God will like me more and, and somehow I'll be a better person? No. Are, or are you doing it because I'm just in love with my Savior? Because he's enough. And God has put this in front of me. And so therefore, my life, not only being salt, has been transformed by the saving grace of who Jesus is. I am now going to live as light. I'm going to be living. Therefore, because of that, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Remember, he's in Rome. He's in jail because of being light to the Gentiles. He's serving Jesus. I'm in jail. I'm being persecuted. Oh, but it's worth it. And so he begins to pin further. He says, I beg you. Beg me. Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Worthy of your calling. I love that, that imagery. I mean, Paul is begging. He's pleading with each one of us. Don't just be salt blocks, if I can say it that way. Be light too. Shine brightly for what Jesus has poured in, let him now pour out. What God has done in, let him now just proclaim out of you like a raging fire. Be the loudest voice, be the biggest picture of what Jesus can do in a transformed life. I beg you, Paul is pleading with us this morning. And he's saying, live a life worthy of this calling. So there's three things this passage gives to us. He goes, I, Christ, first and foremost, he said it over and over, Christ gave you a calling. And he goes on to say, in that calling, I want you to know the light that shines out of you, should come from you, is first and foremost to be a specific kind of person. And he lists some of those qualities, some of those characteristics. He says, I need you to be humble, gentle. I need you to be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of love. So there's... When, when Jesus transforms you, 
because of the truth of who he is and what he's done, and you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, then there should be a life now being played out. There should be characteristics that are being forged and formed in your heart, not because of you, but because of God's spirit now in you, birthing things, uh, grace-filled traits, if you want to call it that. You also can look at it as spirit-filled traits, the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5 tells us a lot about it. The, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Like, and it's not fruits. We love to identify multiple fruits. Well, I have that fruit, and I have that fruit. No, no, no. Understand this. It is a single orange. Okay? This is how you need to see the fruit of the spirit. It's a single orange. It's one orange fruit. And you know what? When you open that piece of fruit up, what? There's like little parts, right? But it takes all those in order to be the fruit. So if there are areas yet to be implemented into your life, just give it time. The Spirit's working. He's birthing things in you that you can't, you're, all of a sudden, your, your wife that you, uh, all, you, your life was transformed by Jesus. You come home, you're a different husband. This happened at our men's retreat. They come, they come home and she, she's going, okay, you're different. Whoa, what's happening? What's, you're, you're, you're nicer. <laughs> come on, husbands, right? You're, you're more patient. Things that used to set you off aren't setting you off quite as much anymore. What happened to you? Right? And the truth is, is it's not, it's not what happened. It's who your husband now knows. It's who, who God, the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ, now has given to him that wasn't once there. The same thing happens with wives. All of a sudden, she's different. She's changed. And it transforms her. And all of a sudden, it's, you have a calling to be a specific kind of person. And he just lists a few. He says, humility, gentleness, patient, quick to forgive. I love what 1 Peter says, tells us here. 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit. Now, once again, if you're just doing activity, if you're just doing activity, um, and it's not rooted in actual life transformation because of what God's done, then all you've done is modify your behavior, not bring glory to God. All of us can modify our behavior. Our children do a good job of modifying our behavior. If we're a mad enough dad, I can get my children to do what I want. Doesn't mean their heart's changed. We do it all the time. But when Jesus does transform a life and transform your heart, because of the truth of who he is, then, guess what? This makes sense. So now, because of the Spirit of God and the transformation that's happened in your life, put away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up, and we're going to be talking about maturity here in a second, into salvation. If indeed, and I love this last part, if indeed you have tasted the Lord, that the Lord is good. It's a, great, it's a great last statement there. See, if we're just doing activity and we, we think that that is sufficient, but you're doing it because you want to feel better, you, do, you need to ask that question of, have I really tasted that the Lord is good? Why am I doing what I'm doing? 
Am I going through the motions because I want everyone, I want to give everyone the impression that I'm a good person? Or am I really transformed by Jesus? These are hard questions that we all have to wrestle with. And they're all individual questions that only you yourself can answer in your own deep walk and spiritual conversation with Jesus himself. Jesus, do I really know you? Have I really been transformed? Second part, it goes on in verses three and four. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in what? The spirit. So Christ gave you a calling to be led by one spirit. Do you realize there's other spirits in this world? And they're oppressive and they're wicked and they can bring harm to you and your family. They're divisive, they're lying, they're deceitful and their whole goal is to steal everything in your life, kill everything in your life, destroy everything in your life. And God says, no, I, I want you to, if you're mine, then living as light is listening to one spirit, the spirit of God, which is in you the moment you give your life to Christ. See, the spirit of the living God is ushered into your heart and to my heart and life and every true follower. Prior to that moment, we were spiritually dead. Prior to knowing the Savior, you and I were spiritually dead. We were led by two people, the enemy and our flesh. Our flesh, the old man, and our enemy, they were in charge. They were leading the way. Jesus became the saving grace in your life, transformed your life, took a dead spirit, gave you his spirit. You became spiritually alive and now can, can live different. You can be led different. You can think differently. You can put away malice and hypocrisy. You can do those things, not because of you, but because of who is in you now. Now there is one spirit alone that we must listen to and be led by. Paul says again in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, he says this, since we are living by the spirit. I love how he starts that. Because there should be an under, it should be understood. As a follower of Jesus, it should be understood. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. You know what that means? It takes a lot more of this and a lot less of this. God, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? God, I, I just came across someone that, um, I don't know, do you, do you want me to have a conversation with that person? God, I, I just passed this guy on the road right now. Do you want me to turn around in my car and go back and, and have a conversation with him? You, do you realize that our lives no longer belong to us? And so every interaction that God presents to us is an opportunity of obedience, is an opportunity to be a shining light of the saltiness that God has placed in your heart and life, the transformation that has taken place. And so guess what? Instead of running away from those opportunities, you lean into the Spirit of God who then gives you the power, the means, and the words. Matthew 10, 20 says this, it is not we that speak, but the Spirit of our Father which speaks through us. I lean into that verse every Sunday, every time I open up my mouth because I don't want it to be me. Joel, if you know the real Joel, guess what? Uh, he's not all that great. 
any good that you see in this pastor or any other staff members or pastors, the only good is Jesus. It's the only good. And the moment I start sipping the Kool-Aid, I become like these other pastors who think, I am, I am a pretty big deal. I'm not a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. His name should be proclaimed. His name should be remembered. He gets the glory. He's the only one that matters. He transforms lives. He transforms families. He saves and salvages marriages. He redeems those things that have been lost. This is our Jesus. This is our God. This is the spirit of God given to you and to me. Led by one spirit. John 6, 63 says this. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Third thing, third thing. Christ gave you a calling to be unified as the church, okay? Unified as the church. Paul gives us the foundation upon which we are unified. And he, he goes on to say, he goes, uh, let me help you out. Let me help you out. You're part of one spirit, part of one hope. But then he lists, he goes, you're part of one body. You're part of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One. You're not baptized in something else. You don't have a faith over here. I love, because see, this is the problem. This is the challenge where cults get icky, okay? There's cults and there's said religions out there that love to pick and choose the things that they like rather than what is true. And so I'll take a little bit of faith from there. I like that. And, and I'll take a little bit of this. And I like that. And, and yeah, oh, I love the benefits of Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to take some of that. And, and it's like we create some sort of, some sort of like um, ecclesiolo uh, ecclesiological kind of salad. And we put a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's our religion. That's our faith. Can I just say that is not what God created. And if you keep eating that, it's going to continue to destroy you. It's going to continue to bind you and lie to you and rob you and steal from you. You don't pick and choose things about Jesus. You choose Jesus, which includes all of him. He is sufficient. He is the rock. He is the one that changes you and me. Through the power of his spirit given to us, the moment our eyes can now see and clarity is now brought unified as the church. Look, Romans 12 says this, I love it. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a specific function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. One body. We, we all belong to each other. Okay, I'm not gonna go on a rant here for a second, but I, I just want you to understand this for a moment, okay? If you think... The Christian life can be done solo. You misunderstand the family that you're a part. You misunderstand that you are part of the body, the body, the body of Christ. That's why I'm saying, I'm not saying, for some of you who walked in, I'm not saying that real life church holds the keys to the kingdom here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. No, I'm saying we play the part and if God is, says, I want you to be a part of that body, then my encouragement to you is just be obedient. Jump all in. Don't, wait by, don't sit by the wayside. Don't be a mere spectator of the sport. Be a player in the game. 
and step in and see what God does. If God tells you to go to another church, then be a part of that, then be faithful to that. Wherever he wants you, he wants you to be a part of the body. You know why? Because can the ear pick something up? No, it can't. Can, can, the, uh, can the shoulder walk us somewhere? No, it can't. Every part of the body plays a part. And that part is essential. It's important. But understand this, when you look at the human body, it works better together than apart. When we are missing parts of the body that God intentionally had, it, we're, we function in a less capacity. The Holy Spirit's not quite as able maybe to work in the way that maybe he would if we all collectively come together. And guess what? You know what? Sometimes the body gets sick. Sometimes it's unhealthy. Does that mean an arm should run away? Oh gosh, the, that church is bad. Are you? No, sometimes, you know what? You stick with the body to bring healthiness back to the body so that God can be glorified once again through the body. You're part of the body, so be part of the body. Okay, all right, I gotta keep going. All right. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through four says this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share, share, the same spirit. Let's look at the second part. Christ not only gave you a calling, Christ gave you, in verses 7 and 8 and 11 through 13, Christ gave you a gift, okay? Praise God. Praise God, he gave you and me a gift. The fact that God gave you a gift should help you realize something. You're not enough. I'm not enough. The fact that God Almighty goes, yeah, uh, Joel, you you need this. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, thank you. All right? Steve, uh, you, listen, you really need this, okay? All right? Like, there are things that, that only God gives to us. Now, I'm not talking about, when, when Paul's talking about here in verses uh, 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He's not talking merely about natural abilities. So, so think beyond natural abilities. He is talking about a supernatural gift that he gives to every single believer. Can I, let me help you. No one was passed over when handing out gifts. No one. That means every follower of Jesus has gifts. Every single one here. And he doesn't give an exhaustive list here. So let me, let me explain that. He doesn't give an exhaustive list of gifts here. You can go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and actually discover even more gifts. But he, he lists a few because these pertain to more of an office. He's talking about the office of the, of the, the church and, and, and the functioning of the church in, in a lot of different ways. But, but he's trying to make a point. He's like, you've been given a gift and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and so on and so forth. But so let's look at these roles just for a moment, okay? Let's look at these roles just for a moment. He lists them. He takes the time to list them. I just want to give you just a minute or two of this. Apostles. Apostles is one of those offices, 
one of those giftings. And, and really what it means is, is one who is sent with a commission, a divinely appointed representative to give witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, how many were actually present eyewitnesses here of Jesus rising from the dead? Anyone? Okay. New Testament, according to the New Testament, um, we don't necessarily qualify as apostles, but that does not mean you cannot have an apostolic ministry. You know why? Because you are a messenger of the risen Jesus, are, are you not? And what the risen Jesus has now done for you, every single one of us carries that good news, that message of the risen Lord in our life. Every single one of us carries an apostolic ministry that we share with this world. And then he goes on to say about prophets. He says, we, and, and understand this, prophets, a lot of the time we commonly uh, assume that, that these are men and women as predictors of the future, right? Oh, he's a prophet. No, what it was was, is, however, the primary function of a prophet is one who proclaims the word of God. You know why? Because in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, guess what there wasn't a whole lot of? This. And so God supernaturally, through his spirit, spoke through men and women to share the truth of God's word. That's what the prophets were shared, that's what they were, that was how they office, that is what they, that is what they did. If you remember during the biblical times, there was not an abundance of supply of Bibles. And so God uses men and women through the power of the Holy Spirit to share that. The, the third office he mentions is evangelists. It really means uh, a bearers or heralds of the good news. Share Jesus with everyone everywhere. That's what an evangelist does. Share Jesus with everyone everywhere. And that is actually, that is a gift of the Spirit. So if you have an inclination to walk by someone and go, I don't know why I feel like I need to talk about Jesus with this person, you might have the gift of evangelism. And let me say this, um, the, the gifts, you can still share Jesus without having this overwhelming gift. Just because you don't have this gift, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't have to tell anyone about Jesus, oh my goodness, read your Bible, okay? All right? God has called us to share his good news. Some of us just, it just comes easier, comes a little bit more naturally through the power of the Spirit. Last and final office, he says, pastors and teachers. This is actually one office with two roles, okay? So the body of Christ is a flock of sheep. Think of it this way. It's a flock of sheep, and, uh, and both need to be cared for, both need to be taught, but then also um, they, need to be, they need to be led. And so if, if I had to, to, to give you an example, I would be what you would call an under-shepherd of the shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. I play an under-shepherd underneath him to be able to pastor and teach, to care and to love. But you know what? Some of you are meant to do the same thing. Do you realize that? You, you guys, we've got to start stepping into the, to the gifts that God has given to you uh, and to me. We've got to keep going here. So what are these gifts for? Let me, let me, play, this, let me play this out. The gifts are for what? The responsibility of, of all these giftings that God has given all the body of Christ. Because there's more. There's hospitality and there's administration and there's all these different things. And God has given these gifts to do what? To, first and foremost, equip. Our, 
My responsibility, the responsibility of the vocational staff members here and, and, and is to equip the body to do the work of the ministry, to edify the body, to, to build up the body. What does it say? He, he actually uses, he says, um, God's people, there is a responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I play a part. You play a part. My part is to equip you as the other parts to go and do the work of the ministry. If you keep relying on this guy or any other guy leading worship, thinking that we'll get them all saved, if I can just bring them into this room or they can just get on this online feed or whatever, if you think that's sufficient, you're misunderstanding your role as part of the body. You are to do the work of the ministry, which means I not only need to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to be a disciple maker for Jesus. This is how this life plays out. I am not only salt, I am light. I am not, this is, this is the calling God has placed on each and every one of us. And then he goes on to say, he says, the first responsibility is to equip. The second responsibility is this, verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. I love that. So the second responsibility, you know what it is? Never stop. <laughs> you know why? Because... That's never going to happen. All of that unity, everyone's not going to all get it until Jesus returns. So guess what? You never stop. You never stop. You keep going. You keep, you, you, fine, you disciple one person, guess what? Praise God for what Jesus did in that life. I'm on to the next. I'm on to the next. I'm continuing to share my life, pour out my life because of who Jesus is. I love this quote by Duncan Campbell. He says, the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. You're the church. You're the people. You get the privilege of being invited into supernatural work, but we're called to work. Let God pour out what he has poured in. Third and final thing is this. Not only has Christ uh, give, given you a calling, he's not only given you, um, giving you a gift in order to fulfill all this, he's also gave you, you, as a blessing. And this is where we're gonna end. Look at verses 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us. Because of what Jesus has done in us, I can now not be fooled by the lies that I hear in my NMSU class. I cannot be lied to by the enemy who's constantly at my door trying to make me believe that I'm still living in shame. Uh, all these ide ideologies and things. That's what he's saying. He's going, how many of if you walked in here feeling like all your life feels like this, okay, like a shaky foundation? I remember I was on, I was on ship with my dad. It was called a tiger cruise where they invite children of military people to go on the ship where their, their, their dad is and actually ride a couple days with them on the ship. And I remember one night, man, this, like, the waves were crazy. And so we were doing like this. I mean, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. And I, yes, I did get sick. Okay. That just happens. All right. And, and, uh, and so we went back and forth and, and it was just, it was awful. 
awful. But some of your lives actually feel like that. Like there's no stability. You get tossed around back and forth, and you're so easily influenced, so easily tricked. God goes, when I do what I can do in your life, and you allow truth to establish who you are, you stand. You stand firm on the rock. That's why Jesus identifies himself as the rock, the foundation. It's no longer building our house on sand. It's building it on the rock. It doesn't shift. It doesn't move. There's no shifting sands, sands here. And then he goes on to say, he says, we're not going to be influenced by people that try to trick us. Instead, here's what we are do. You ready? This is how our life lives out. God gave you to be light, to be a blessing to this world. And you know what you're going to do in doing that? I'm going to speak the truth in love. You're going to speak the truth in love. You're going to grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the church. He makes the whole body fit together. So there's, here it is, ready? You're going to grow in maturity. So what, what's going to happen when Jesus plants in? You will grow in maturity. You're no longer going to just sip on the milk of the word. You are going to move on to the meat of the word. You're no longer going to be kind of uh, thinking that Jesus is, you know, something uh, cool, even though he really is, but he's going to be something that actually transforms you and moves you to live a life. You, you will move from seeing him as just mere coolness and, and something that you kind of uh, wear as a t-shirt or something like that to something that compels you to live different. This is what happens. You will move from immaturity to maturity. You will no longer talk about just things that are frivolous of this world. You will begin to move on to things that can actually help transform this world into the image of Jesus. He then also says, you'll also speak the truth in love. We need to stop thinking that sharing truth will somehow harm those we love. We got to stop thinking that. We got to stop thinking that, well, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt their feelings. You might hurt their feelings, that may be true. They may feel a little bit offended, but it might save their soul. So it, you, you got to begin to balance that out. Is it worth sharing something that, that they may not want to hear, but I assure you it's on truth. It's anchored in what's right and let truth fall in the way it needs, but do it in love. Okay. Don't be the guy at the street corner. Okay. Don't be, uh, don't be so um, argumentative. Let me put it this way. You can win the argument with your friend or your relative and still lose the person because you do it in such an aggressive and angry way. Hey, be, be Jesus. Be kind. It is not your job to save that person. It is your job to tell them and then let God be God. That's what you do. You tell them and then you step back and you let God be God. I love what John Bevere said, he said this, truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Sometimes we just, we need to be willing to share, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it might sacrifice something that we'd like to protect. Your job is to not um, figure out, you know, how this, how this may or may not play out. Your job when the Holy Spirit prompts you is to be obedient and let God handle it. 
be obedient, step in, speak the truth in love, and let God be God. And you continue to love him, regardless of whether they turn towards him or not. This is, this is the call that we have on our life. Last and final thing is, is it helps us to grow. It helps us to grow. It helps others to grow too. He goes on to say, he says, he makes the whole body fit together um, perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. That means when you are being the arm in the body of Christ the way that you need to be, it affects every other part of the body. When you're being the foot, when you're being the ear, when you're being, it just, it helps everyone around you. It encourages every, it offers life where none was found. It brings an encouragement because Jesus is shining brightly through you. You are being a representation of Jesus because of who he is and how he changed you. And I see it kind of as this. I see it as the human eye. The human eye is just incredible. And it was the one, it was the one thing that always threw Darwin a curveball. Darwin never understood the human eye. You know why? Because the human eye doesn't function without every single part. Do you realize that? Like without every part cohesively working together, the human eye doesn't work. So according from an evolutionary standpoint, they should have gotten, you know, should have gotten rid of it a long time ago because it was pointless. But you know what? I see, the, I see the, the body of Christ the same way. When every part is working together and it's functioning in harmony, it encourages every brother and sister in that, in that circle. It encourages everyone else in the body of Christ. And all of a sudden, life transformation begins to happen all around. They become encouraged. Light begins to be shown to a dark world. Jesus now makes sense because of who's shining out of you. I love the fact that God has called us to be a part of something. I love the fact that, that not only is there salt, there's also light. The question is, are you going to jump in? Are you going to be a part? Some of you just want to hang out in salt because it's safe. I don't have to do anything. I can just absorb all of Jesus and, and sit on my couch and listen to, to, to new podcasts and, and listen to another message from this and another message from this. And let me just say this. I love the senior saints in this church. You know why? Because I've seen some incredible light shine from them. So don't think for a moment that age ever has anything to do with whether or not God can shine brightly through you. God can shine brightly through that, through you, regardless of the season of life that you're in. So stop thinking, oh, that, that was years ago. I can't do that. I can't do that. Is Jesus in you? Then you have the supernatural ability to conquer mountains because of the Spirit of God in you. Stop thinking that somehow you are less than and you can't do this and you can't do that. No, you stand up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is who I am. This is who you're made to be. And this is who we will be until Jesus returns. You know why? Because we never stop. 
and we never quit. And that's why I know over the course of the next 10 years, this city is going to be transformed for the gospel of Jesus Christ because this body is going to go out and not only be salty, going to be salty like, you know, just like, oh, wow, that's strong salt, okay? But you're going to be light too. You're going to be light.